Love Talk Radio. It's the Gridiron Studs Show and the promo that's got the flow. Football knowledge from toe to toe with Amo, Talamino, and the other host. You already know Chad Wilson brings you the show. Dial us up. Give us a call. We're waiting here to talk some ball. 347-633-9365 is the number to call. So don't sit around. No time to stall. Giving you football from wall to wall. And now we give you our two hosts, Amo and Chad with your breakfast toast. It is Monday, January 16th, the post-NFL Divisional Playoff Monday, and uh, I think we've talked my man Emil Calamino down from the ledge he was on. This was supposed to be the Cowboys team that went to the Super Bowl. Emil, what the hell happened? I don't know about that. I mean, I think they had a good team. Um, I don't know. They they ran into a buzzsaw and a quarterback, and they're young. I mean, they just, you know, there's some things they did in that game that I think will get corrected. I mean, I'm, I'm not as down on that. I'm more disappointed than I am mad. Um, you know, I was happy with the way the team came back. Young team. I think Dak showed everybody yesterday that we can put to bed this Tony Romo talk. He showed you he's the guy. I mean, he went toe-to-toe with Rodgers. And frankly, I mean, this isn't a shot at Tony, but – probably played better in his first playoff game than Romo ever played in any of the playoff games he played in Dallas. So, yeah, you can say that. I'm just wondering if uh, anyone out there would try to turn this around on Dak Prescott um, and try to make this somehow his fault. I know you had a problem with the play calling. I guess that's something we could get into here in the next, uh, you know, 45 minutes or an hour that we're on here. By the way, if you're listening to us live, you can join us here on the show Share your thoughts and questions and comments. The number to call is 347-633-9365. Again, 347-633-9365. And you can join us on Twitter at GridironStud and uh, share some of your questions and comments there on uh, an MLK Monday. So should be a lot of folks at home sitting back, relaxing, listening to us talk about the week that was. This is quite a look. You can't say this, Emma, whether you like the uh, – the results are not yesterday from a fan standpoint. If you were rooting for a particular team, this was a better weekend of games than last week. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, you can't I, – I mean, the two games yesterday especially. I mean, the first – Saturday's games were not great. I mean, I'll be honest. I went to movies. I, like I told you, I, I, Saturday was my giveaway day. I, I went to the movies and watched a great movie. I saw Patriot Day Saturday night, ironically, while the Patriots were playing. I saw part of the game. Uh, um, but, you know, I kind of knew what was going to happen. I just didn't know the final score. I mean, Houston was a little bit uh, feistier than I thought, and I got to see the fourth quarter of the game when I sent you that note that I'm not sure I've ever seen a guy making $18 million a year suck as bad as Brad Osweiler, okay? The, anybody who's sane yeah, I mean, and agreed look, to that. Man, he got his first name wrong, and you're not a guy that does that. Oh, what is it? Well, Brock, excuse me, what did I call him, Brent? Brad. Brad, I called him Brad. I made up a name. Yeah, Brock, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, $18 million a year. The GM in Houston should either be in a psych ward today or fired, okay? Because that guy, I mean, the announcers were trying to make up stuff about, well, you know, he did drop a dime to William Fuller that Fuller missed. Okay, he threw a good pass. The guy makes $18 million a year. He stinks. He's horrible. Oh, my God. 
Look, at this point, we're probably past that. You and I saw this for what it was, and let's not try to act like we're geniuses. Many, many um, turned up a very high eyebrow to this signing when it happened in the offseason. Just one of those things that goes down. Um, franchise makes a mistake. But it's at the place where, you know, you just really can ill afford to make uh, those kind of mistakes. So who knows how far back that set Houston. they got to go either in free agency or they're going to need to do something in the draft, and, you know, if you'd done it right the first time at this position, uh, you'd be using your free agency money or, or your first-round draft pick to uh, for another area of need. So problem like Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, okay? Now, you know I always make a joke about the NFL, especially the NFL, more than college. Whenever we talk about this subject, my line is no quarterback, no chance. There's four teams left next Sunday. Now tell me if you see the theme here. Tom Brady, mm-hmm. Ben Roethlisberger, sure. Aaron Rodgers, and Matt oh, yeah. Ryan. Okay, find me a team in this league, the way it's constructed now, that's going to win anything without having really good quarterback play. If you don't have a quarterback, well, you have zero chance. Yeah, listen, I, I, I hear you, okay? You just named those names. What was available to Houston, because uh, obviously those guys weren't, what was available to Houston when it was uh, their time to try and find a quarterback? Well, I mean, first of all, you've got to make an effort. Sometimes you've got to go out of the box. Like, why go $18 million on a guy who couldn't even keep the starting job in Denver last year? Okay? When they made their playoff run, they, they decided that, you know what, we're going to go back to a guy who's throwing balls that, you know, look like a 40-year-old man who hasn't played football because we still trust him more than this guy. So what GM thinks that that's the route to solving the problem? Let's get the guy that the Broncos really didn't even trust to start a playoff game. Okay, let's do that rather than look to the draft and maybe, hey, what have, what have I been saying on this show now for at least the last three years, maybe not the whole five? I've told you my theory. Mm-hmm. I'm taking a quarterback at some point, now depending on my need, in every draft. For instance, right. The Cowboys now have a quarterback in Dak Prescott. Guess what? This year, if I'm on the clock and I have three seventh-round picks and there's a guy I like there, I'm going to take him. Now, people say, that's crazy. Why would you waste that pick on a quarterback? Well, because, number one, I need a backup quarterback. Number two, if I hit on the second Dak Prescott, I trade him. And now I turn that seventh-round pick into a third-round pick, a second-round pick, maybe even a first-round pick. I'm always taking a quarterback because the position is so vital to to a football team. said on this show – um, and yeah, I could probably count those things on one hand, but this is definitely. <laughs> Thanks, Chad. I, I love you too. Um. I also think it's something that should be done at the college level. You know, recruit a quarterback every year, and, and depending on what you have there at the time, then you know that that determines the level of quarterback, at least from a uh, recruiting, you know, scouting standpoint that you take. You know, if you got someone there young. Uh, if you have a Lamar Jackson or someone that you expect to be around for two or three years, then, you know, you grab yourself a three-star guy with some type of potential. If you have nothing, then obviously you go for the big-time guy. But uh, not only In college, yourself- Chad, it actually it recruits itself in college. Think about it this way, right? Let's take this upcoming year. You said Lamar Jackson, uh, Louisville, and you got, let's say, Sam Darnold at USC. Well, you're not going to get most five-stars quarterbacks to want to go into those situations anyway, because in today's game, they want to play anyway immediately. So it's going to lead you down the road of getting a kid 
who might be underrated as a three-star, they missed on him. It's going to give you an extra year or two to develop him because he's happy that he's at Louisville playing behind Lamar Jackson or happy he's at USC. And then you got your next quarterback, hopefully. I mean, I just don't understand the mentality in the NFL where, like, to me it's like jumping out of an airplane. You could say, well, this parachute works 99.999% of the time. Okay, am I going to still have a backup parachute? You're damn right I am. Why? Because if it doesn't work that infinitesimal amount of time, I'm dead. So I've got to have yeah. a backup plan. So Yeah, uh, it's certainly something I definitely agree with. Uh, Houston, uh, the, the, the Texans have a, a bigger problem than that. They, they need to get a guy that can, that's ready to play right now. Brock Osweiler's not. What do you do with that contract? I mean, you're a contract guy. There's nothing right now. There's there's so much guaranteed money in that contract. He's got to stay on the roster at least next year. There's so much guaranteed upfront money that he got when he signed that deal that I don't see how they can cut him. If I'm the Houston Texans, okay, Bob, who's the owner? McNair, right? I'm picking up that phone, and I'm dialing the 214 area code, I believe it is, and I'm calling Jerry Jones maybe next week. I'm going to give him a week to decompress after yesterday. And I'm saying, Jerry, what would it take for you? What, what can we agree on that I, I get Tony Romo down here? Um, I, I, but then how much dead money is that on your roster with Osweiler sitting there not playing? Well, you have no choice. It's whether it's dead or not, you just can't cut him. I mean, it's going to be some dead money, and he's going to have to be the backup quarterback. The way I see it, I mean, I'm, I've looked at it. I mean, it's a four-year deal. I'm thinking. I'm thinking his signing bonus was, I'm saying in the in the 20s. So I mean, you've only amortized a fourth of that right now. I just don't see how they can cut him right now. But what I do think is, you could probably get a Romo deal restructured, almost like a sign and trade. Because Jerry's going to be very amicable with Romo. They're friends. We know that. He's not going to send them to a horrible situation. Um, I think people are overplaying the Denver hand. I, I'm not sure Elway, who's committed a lot of draft capital to Paxton Lynch, okay, which is going to make it hard. Remember, the Denver offensive line, different subject, was not good this year. It was not a good offensive line. You're going to have a hard time sending a Romo to a place where he's going to get banged around, and the Broncos really don't have the draft picks to fix that line. I mean, they moved up to get Lynch, and he's got two young quarterbacks there. I think Elway's got some he's got some leeway. He's won, so he doesn't have to do anything rash. I think Houston is a place where you could see a deal being made for me, and I think Romo would say, hey, they have a defense. They have DeAndre Hopkins. They have some things I can work with down there. That's, but that would be the way I'd approach it if I was Houston. I think that's their best way to fix that quickly, at least for a yeah. year. I mean, you know too much time talking about the least of all the games this weekend, but we'll say this, man. What did you think of the Patriots' performance in this game? I was not overwhelmed. I think Pittsburgh has a legitimate shot of being a representative from the AFC. I think Pittsburgh's got a legit shot. I mean, I did pick them to go to the Super Bowl. It was probably one of the few things I got right on a larger scale in the preseason picks. I mean, I did okay in the divisions, but my NFC was a disaster. But I like Pittsburgh. I think It's still hard. I don't think the Patriots, I mean, I know this sounds funny for an NFL game. I don't think they were overly fired up Saturday night. I think they realized that, listen, unless we turn this thing over like silly, eventually we're going to win this game. I mean, even if that wasn't their pervasive outward mindset, deep down I think they realized it's going to be hard for us to lose. I don't think you got anywhere close to the best of the Patriots. What makes it hard for Pittsburgh is 
They played a very physical, tough game yesterday on the road. That's a tall task to go and win a second straight road game. It really is. You know that. Yeah, uh, it, it is, no doubt about it. Maybe it has, maybe it's kind of like what you talked about when uh, analyzing this game that the Patriots would try to do what they needed to do to win the game and, and basically get the hell on without, uh, you know, suffering anything uh, injury-wise or anything like that. I mean, we were wrong, right. We were wrong. You and I were wrong, but I don't think we were wrong, if that makes sense. We picked, when we get to that point, we picked the wrong team there, but I thought our logic in the actual pick was solid. We got clipped at the end by some stupidity uh, on our uh, Houston quarterback's part. I mean, I think that should have been a cover in that game. I, I kind of felt the game played out the way I suspected, and you did too, apparently, because I just didn't think the Patriots were going to be all gangbusters or showing very much in this game. I mean, I think if they have anything hidden, Pittsburgh will get it. I don't. I think they felt like we could just play a plain vanilla game here, and eventually Houston will implode and we will win this game. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm just uh, going to make it interesting next week. Sliding over to the other game on Saturday. Is this Amo the end of the Seahawks uh, run, if you could call it that? Because as much no. success as they only won one, one Super Bowl, but... Um, is this the no, end of these guys no. for a little bit? They went to two Super Bowls. They won one, and I don't think so at all because, again, go back to what I said in the previous statement. I think that if you have a, a quarterback, which they do, I think we can all say Wilson is one of the better quarterbacks in this league, definitely top ten, and if top ten is pretty high. Um, and they have a coach. I think Carroll's solid, and I think Schneider, the GM, is solid. I, I, I don't think they're done at all. I, I mean, they may take a hiatus where they had an early first-round exit here for for them, an early exit, but I don't think at all, uh, you know, they're done. So I think they the need GM, to tweak that roster a little. What do these guys need, Emil, and how are they going to get it? Well, I think it's obvious. You're asking me. I think you know the answer as well as I do. They need to be able to block. Right now, if you watch the Seattle Seahawks, if they had a quarterback that wasn't, I mean, right, the way they're constructed, their offensive line, unless they had a Russell Wilson, as they do, or a Cam Newton or a Dak Prescott, they'd be in big trouble because their quarterback plays, spends a lot of time outside the pocket running for his life, and that's just no way to live in the NFL. And, and eventually you're going to get Russell Wilson hurt if you don't start figuring out a way to, to save him. I mean, he played most of this year beat up with a bad knee and a bad ankle, which took away a lot of his mobility. And I think the Seahawks need to figure out a way to shore up that offensive line. They've spent a lot of their resources on defense. That's been their calling card under Pete. He's a defensive coach. But I think at some point they have to realize the NFL, the way it's set up with the rules, the days of the Ravens, the Buccaneers in the last 15 years where you just win a Super Bowl, even last year with Denver, I'm not sure going forward that formula is going to work as much. I just I, I like defense. Don't get me wrong. You got to stop somebody. Pardon me, Chad. I missed that last statement. Are the Oakland running back and wide receiver, in your opinion? Well, they got Rawls. I think when he's healthy, he showed you he can be a, a very serviceable back in this league, especially if you get him some blocking. I mean, if one if a running back falls to them. I mean, and, and, it, and they're on the clock and they see value. I don't have a problem with them taking a running back. I think they need some help outside. I mean, I like the tight end, Graham. I, I mean, he's, he's a load to handle, but I think you've got to give Russell Wilson a little help. I mean, Doug Baldwin's a nice piece. I think he's a guy that he can do some stuff if, if there was a, a true number one, but I just don't think they have anybody on that team 
that can scare you, a la Julio Jones or Antonio Brown or, or even like a Dez. I mean, look at Dez had a big game in a big spot. So, I mean, I think they need a guy like that. Yeah, people also question the Devin Hester signing. Um, even though they lost, it turned out to be a good thing. I mean, he um, – there, I mean, there were some penalties that cost him in that game. Might have, you know, might have really cost him the game. Um, and, you know, from – there was some momentum that was flipping their way there, and penalties called him back. But he certainly looked um, to be uh, the guy in the return game still at this point in his career. Yeah, I don't have a I, – I, I thought it was a, a, actually a very shrewd move. I mean, like, as you said, I mean – you know, that hold cost them a big return, and you can make the argument they got the big return because of the hold. But the point is, Hester, you know, it was a guy that almost changed that game for them. And, and let's face it, in, in that game Saturday, on paper, the Seahawks were outgunned. The Falcons are playing very well this year. They're clicking on all cylinders offensively. So, you know, if anything, I think Pete might have played that game a little conservatively. I think he he went in there with the mentality of his USC old Seahawk days where I have the better team. Um, and I think there's some points in that game where he needed to push the envelope a little bit, uh, fourth downs and stuff, and just different calls where maybe it could have swung momentum. I, I don't think he realized how good Atlanta has has played this year. Atlanta is no fluke. They had the second – you know, the top three-point differentials in the NFL this season, New England, Atlanta, Dallas. So the the, the Atlanta Falcons were no fluke this year. Um, yeah, and some might have wanted to call them that, but um, certainly they proved their worth in this game on Saturday. Well, this looks like a good time for us to take a break. When we get back, we'll uh, touch on the, the wonderful games that were the ones that took place yesterday and uh, what the future holds there, both for uh, the teams that won yesterday and the ones that lost those important football games yesterday. We'll do that more when we get back on the Gridiron Stud Show. Stay with us. Wicked, wicked, wicked. Wicked tones, you know. What? Metro Boomin wants some more, nigga. You want the truth? Well, here it is. Speed kills. And in no other sport is that true than in football. Speed gets you to the end zone. Speed gets you to the ball carrier. Speed makes you a winner. Do you want championship type speed? Do you want speed that kills? Then Complete Speed is what you need. Complete Speed is turning athletes into game breakers. With quick and easy methods that are easy to understand, Complete Speed can shave time off your 40-yard dash, make you quicker and more explosive. They have a clear progression, drills, and exercises along with specific instructions. They also have proven sample workouts and programs for you, the individual, or for you, the coach. Speed is what you need, so hurry now and check out Complete Speed. Just go to gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed. That's gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed for more information right now. To all you high school recruits out there, you want to get recruited by the colleges? Step up and visit gridironstuds.com today. We got college coaches visiting. We've got people visiting. We've got fans visiting. If you want to be seen, get your video up there right now. It's easy. Create a profile. Takes two minutes. Stop playing games. Get off of Facebook. Take control of your future. Gridironstuds.com is where you need to be today. Visit now. Set your profile up and let yourself be seen. Talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kids stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, living, being right, jet flying, 
son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators up. Woo! Yeah, um, uh, you know. You know, 
Interesting, interesting that, uh, you know, when they win, I don't know that folks are in such a hurry to give him credit. I'm not, I'm not just saying this, you know, to you. Um, it's just a common narrative. He doesn't get a whole lot of credit for the wins. Does seem to take a tremendous amount of um, abuse, if you could use that word, when, when you know, Kansas City loses. In a game like yesterday where they only managed 16 points, I guess in, in that situation any quarterback is going to have to take some heat. But Alex Smith especially so. It was difficult for me watching that game, Emil, to, to say two things. Well, what Kansas City could have done differently um, and, and exactly what it is they need to push forward other than needing a, a really scary, you know, wide receiver. Well, right now, I mean, people don't want to give, I think, a guy credit. I think Andy Reid got more out of the Chiefs than that team. I mean, if you take a step back and you really look at the Chiefs, they're a nice team. They're a competitive team. But to finish the year 12-5, and five, I'm not sure – that that's a 12 and 5 team. You hit a, you hit a couple things. They don't have any legit outside threats. Right. Other than Hill who's a nice type of slot receiver who can do some things to hurt you now. You know, there there's really nothing in the passing game that scares me. Cleese is a nice player, but he's your tight end. Um, you know, he's not a Gronkowski. He's very good, but I don't think he's that level. So, you know, their passing game definitely needs some help. Again, I like Alex Smith. I think he's a very good quarterback. I, I don't think he's great, nor do I ever think he'll be great. I don't care if he has Julio Jones. We can't just say that, hey, Matt Ryan's really good or Ben Roethlisberger's really good because they have a great wide receiver. I think you know and I know, and you, you, to your credit, you pointed this out with Rodgers on a lot of your tweets yesterday. Uh, he's not that kind of quarterback. Like Aaron Rodgers, you could see the difference in these guys. Um, I, I just think the Chiefs need some help offensively. Um, yeah, uh, I, I would say that's probably the only thing really that I saw. Just, you know, give, give me something scary outside. If nothing else changes, changes the way teams have to play defense against us. But uh, nevertheless, the Chiefs go down. You and I both expected them to advance past this round. So, well, I guess we've got to give some credit to the Steelers, especially on the defensive side of the ball, where they haven't been all that great this year. Uh, you and I both remember the Dallas the game against the Cowboys in Pittsburgh last uh, earlier this year in which the Steelers just were so poor defensively, especially late in the game, you would never have expected them to come up with an effort like this in the postseason. No, no. I, I Well, no, you wouldn't. But their defense has played better down the stretch. And I think that, you know, if you're going to play, you know, I it was a pretty good matchup for Pittsburgh if you're going to be on the road. Because unless you go into Kansas City and kick that ball around and help them, with the uh, you know the turnover aspect, it's going to be hard for them to blow you out. You know, you know what I'm saying? They're just not that type of team. Now, they could do it if you're going to hand them four turnovers because they're very opportunistic. But if you play a relatively clean game, I think it was a good matchup if you're going to be on the road for Pittsburgh. So, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was I'll be honest, I like defense. But that was a uh, – to me, that wasn't a real exciting game. I mean, for maybe if you really, really love defense even more than me, like you do, you found it for a lot of, for big stretches of that game. It, for me, it was like watching paint dry. I, I felt like I was watching the JV game on a Monday afternoon after watching the Cowboys Packers game. Yeah, um, that's 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 the uh, I, I can appreciate the game yesterday. Uh, I know in this day and age now, uh, as fans, we've been conditioned. 
but scoring 34-31, uh, always going to be more exciting than 18-16. Uh, but for someone like myself, looking at the little intricacies that are going on there, uh, the pass rush, what's going on with the left tackle and James Harrison, uh, which, by the way, Amo, I guess really changed that game. Uh, the play for the two-point conversion where uh, Fisher was called for holding on, on Harrison. And wow, frankly, you didn't think he, that was a hold, though? It was a hold. And if he didn't do what he did, it play would have never have happened anyway. He would have gotten right. To so I don't. What's what's Cleese talking about? I mean, first of all, nothing annoys me more. If you and I want to talk about on a show for ten minutes or five minutes some poor officiating, I'm fine with that. But these fans, I've never seen a fan in my life. And this goes from youth sports up to the pros that their team ever lost a game. It was always the officials did it. If you've played sports in your life, any sport you know there's bad calls throughout a game. And just to assume the one that you saw at the end of a game that you think is bad costs your team the game, I keep saying, you need to really stop and think. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of bad calls in a game. It goes both ways. It goes back and forth. You can't just pick out one and say that's why we lost the game. And that was a good call, by the way. So I have no idea what Cleese was talking about. He, he, the guy put a stranglehold on Harrison. Uh, yeah, he did hook him around the neck. Uh, it, it, you know, I guess in this case it was necessary. James Harrison got really, really low and bent. The Cornell, only other thing I think Fisher could have done was put a hand on his back and shove the guy down into the ground. He was pretty low, but, um, you know, in the heat of the moment there, and the guy's getting around the corner on you. Listen, uh, I'm a defensive back, late corner, uh, the second most difficult uh, position to play, I think, on the field. Um uh, the next has to be left tackle. So people are up there up in arms. Now, what about quarterback? Well, listen, until you're out there, you just, especially with the rules the way that they are now, um, it's very difficult to be a quarterback in this league right now. But uh, before that, it's left tackle. And the reason I say that, Emil, is this. That guy across from you just about every time is going to be more athletic than you. That's not the case at cornerback. you got cornerbacks that are as athletic or yeah. more athletic than receivers that line up in front of them. But at a left tackle, you have to have size to block in the run game. So that automatically is going to take away something from your athleticism. And uh, nine times out of ten, that guy lined up in a two- or three-point stance is more athletic than you, and you are required to um, keep this guy out of the backfield or the entire play is destroyed. At cornerback, you might miss a jam, screw up out there, and it, no one knows. They didn't see it. Screw up a block there at left tackle, and uh, the play's dead, and, and maybe the quarterback as well. It's a tough position to play. Since we're talking about left tackles, can I bring this up only because I, I, we were talking about it in my, with the guys here yesterday, and uh, we all agreed on this. Does the left tackle Tyron Smith for the Cowboys look human to you? <laughs> he looks like some cyborg or something. The guy doesn't have an ounce of fat on him. He walks on the field with those shoulder pads. He looks like some guy that, you know, he has he has a uniform on. It looks like he could be going to a nightclub. I mean, he doesn't have an ounce of fat on him. He he doesn't look human to me. The guy's like six five, three twenty. I I mean I don't yeah. know if I've seen a left tackle like him in a long time. Yeah. Him, you know him and uh, Jason Peters at Philadelphia. Uh, two of the guys that I really uh, look at like these are the guys who may not line up at left tackle and and be outgunned from an athletic standpoint as much as everyone else. But uh, it is a very, very tough position to play. So, Oh, it's, I, think, I, think you, I think you almost got that right, but you did, you did cover yourself. I think quarterback is still the most difficult 
because of the decisions you got to make and the fact that you're going to have to stand in there at some point and throw a ball and know that somebody is just going to absolutely light you up. Um, I think beyond uh, quarterback, I would agree with you then, left tackle, and I would say corner because the mistakes at those positions are magnified due to the fact that you're out on an island by yourself and it's kind of like being the pitcher in baseball. You're in the center of everyone's attention and the only time – you really get noticed usually is if you do something bad. Yeah, well, this makes for a great segue into the, the Packers-Cowboys game. Yeah, uh, it had all the drama, uh, obviously a game with a number of plays in it, and you hate to boil a game down to one particular play. But, Emil, uh late in this game, you had a play, Packers ball. Uh, I, I don't entirely remember the situation, but – uh, it ended up where a pass interference was called, which, as we know, is a spot foul. Moving the ball up, you'd have to refresh my memory. Uh, certainly beyond five yards, certainly put the Packers into field goal position, which they later lost. But nevertheless, in looking at that play, that was not pass interference. Uh, it was holding. That, it was illegal contact. contact. It was not pass interference. They had a perfect uh, camera angle of it on the replay. You can actually see Aaron Rodgers running, uh, moving out of the pocket with the ball. You can see when the contact happened, and you can see that the throw occurred after the contact. And it was, you know, just a hand shiver. Guy threw his hand out, number 30 or 31. I don't remember who it was. You know the Cowboys roster. Uh, that was so Anthony a, Brown, the rookie. Yeah, Anthony Brown threw a hand out just to, you know, impede a receiver's progress going down the field. A pretty natural reaction. And then after that hand shiver, the ball was delivered, and it was called pass interference and probably moved the ball down the field, I'd say some 15 yards, where it should have been five yards and an automatic first down. Changed, uh, in my opinion, the outcome of the game. Well, it, it could have, it, but it didn't, right? Because I think he, oh, I think no. they eventually got inter- – Am I right? Didn't they get the interception a few plays later, or am I, am I thinking of the wrong – no, I believe they got themselves – what happened next, I believe, was, if I remember correctly, the Packers ran the ball, um, and it was a big play made in the backfield, which I pushed them out of field goal range. And then Aaron Rodgers made that super throw on a rollout to his left, the flick of the wrist play, uh, where, you know. Yeah, I may have been, but – I think I think the refs got bailed out on that because it became a six-yard penalty. They somehow placed the ball on the 35-yard line, um, even though they made the wrong call, and it would have been a five-yard penalty and an automatic first down. I think they got bailed out. But he, nonetheless, here's, here's the bigger point with officiating. And let me ask you this, because I think this is really the bigger point here. Why do we have an all-star official at every position – Okay, so the all-star referees, the all-star umpires, rather than grade the crew as an all-star crew, because officiating is like playing on the offensive line. Guys work together and learn how to cover each other and and learn just how to work as a crew. Shouldn't we keep these crews together and grade the crew and put them in a playoff game versus grading each official, and then they haven't worked together all year? Because I think that Cowboy-Packer game, was a CF as far as the officiating, and I'm not saying it, it hurt either team more. I think there was just some bad calls throughout the game both ways. Well, uh, that's not something I was familiar with. So how do they do this? 
to get an all-star official at the position that he officiates during the year, so an all-star uh, Yeah, mindset. so in other words, Chad, you're a referee, and they say, Chad, you're, you're, the, you're a great referee. You're, you're going to be in the playoffs this year. And I'm an umpire, and they say, Emil, you're an umpire. You're a great you know, umpire. You're going to be in the playoffs this year. And they send us to Dallas with six other guys who are all great at their position. We haven't worked together all year. It's an all-star crew. Now, my argument is why not grade an entire crew and say the best crews are the one that we're going to keep together and put in the playoffs because they've worked together. That doesn't make any sense to me. Because one of those guys in that crew, those are, the entire crew is considered all-star. One of those guys might really suck, and that will end up being the guy that makes the dumb call, that would make the pass interference call in the end zone on a, on a January 2nd night on 2003 in the damn Fiesta Bowl across the University of Miami, a chance at a back-and-back championship. Yeah, I, yeah, I understand. I understand, but I think there's more of a risk of getting what we had yesterday, where where they didn't look like they had ever worked together. And um, you know, the, you have to admit there was some choppy officiating in that game, don't you think? I think the pace of the game, um, you know, because of of how you know frenetic the offense was in the game, it made it a more difficult game to officiate because it wasn't a game that guys were just running the ball up the middle for three yards in a cloud of dust. But nonetheless, I thought the the officiating in the Packer-Cowboy game overall was poor. The Packers do some quirky things on offense that can kind of make it uh, a little a little funny for you to officiate the game. The whole thing with trying to snap the ball when guys are running off the field and then the hard count and, you know, all that little silly crap that they do. That can kind of create some problems as well. Well, let, 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 let's talk a little bit about the game because you touched on some stuff. I mean, first of all, you hit this on the head, so I, I like to give credit when someone is right. You know, Rodgers played quarterback as well as I've seen quarterback played because I'm going to tell you something. The Dallas defense really wasn't that bad yesterday. He put some balls, if anybody was – I mean, I've heard Dallas fans bitch about the defense. There were some throws he made in that game, honestly. I'm not sure there's anybody else that could make those throws on the move. I mean, he was just basically dropping the ball in the only spot it could be thrown. The final deadly throw was ridiculous. Rolling to his left. Yeah, well, it's good. I mean, did he even did he even pull his arm back? It's like his arm was still in the ball. No, he flicked it. I mean, it was it was a ridiculous throw. Now, I would like to back up and just say, you know, what I was saying to you, and I, and I hear what you're saying. I get, you know, Chad sends me a note saying, hey, your team was 13-3, and three, you know, blah, blah, blah. Listen, I get that. And as an overall grade, I'm going to say it's hard to kill any of the Cowboys coaches because I think they had a phenomenal year, and I think deep down, even though no coach would ever tell you this, I think deep down, if I could start drinking bourbon with Jason Garrett, he would probably admit to me that he felt like yesterday was a little bit of gravy. Because at the beginning of the year, when you're starting a rookie quarterback, a rookie running back, and a very young team overall, he didn't think he'd be 13-3. and three. He could tell you he did if, if he's standing at a press conference because he's a competitor. But I, don't, I, I think he would admit that he felt his team was probably – a year ahead of schedule because the defense isn't quite there yet. But that said, there was some play calling in that game that drove me nuts. I mean, I look at the way the Pittsburgh offensive coordinator called the game. He goes to Kansas City, and he hammers the ball, Lavian Bell. I look at that game, the Packers called 15 running plays, not counting Rodgers. The Cowboys only called 22. How could you be that happy if the Chiefs kick if the Chiefs get that extra, that two-point conversion, and then later on win the game 
or they, they get back down there and they kick a field goal and it's 19-18, I can guarantee you Todd Haley would be ripped to shreds today by Pittsburgh fans and Pittsburgh media because you ended up having to kick a Maybe. bunch of field goals. Maybe, but not for running the ball. Dallas should have employed Pittsburgh. Listen, listen well, I could tell you the different plays that I just I, – I swear on my kids, I'm not saying this. I said it before they did it. I'm not – they had that third and two early in the game, and, I, and they're on the 30 or 25-yard line. And I said to the guys with me, run the ball here because if you're a half-yard short, you run it again. He, th- he throws – not only does he call a pass, Linehan, he calls basically like a seam route to, to Des Bryant where the ball gets knocked down, he settles for a field goal. Then later in the game on the Dak interception, the one that you pointed out, Micah Hyde had scouted the play and was hoping they ran it. You're second and one in the red zone. Why do you need to be a genius? Why? Why, why, why? When I have a running back that's getting six yards a carry almost. Why? In my opinion, all right, let me give you my opinion. You're second and one in the red zone. You're playing for touchdowns. Um, you know that you're going up against a team that's very leery of your running game. On second and one, I can try this play here where they could be second and one. They're thinking like you're thinking on the other side of the ball. Let's gear up for this run game. They've got this great massive offensive line, and they've got this great rookie running back. We can gear up for this thing. And, yeah, maybe they get a first down. He gains two yards on the play. But then I've got a whole, I've got a whole other sequence in a combined area to try and get in the end zone. Or as an offensive play caller, on second and one, I do have a great offensive line. And I do have a great running back. So if this play that I'm about to try misses, I can always come back on third and one and get behind that offensive line, go ahead and get the first down and just deal with another four downs of trying to get in that end zone. But if I catch them loading up on my run game on second and one, and I have some advantages on the edge, this could be a play that gets me in the end zone, and then I don't have to sit here and deal with the four, the four next plays in the red zone where things get tight and it gets difficult to score. That's the thought process. Well, I, I get the thought process. In the end, though, even though Green Bay eventually got intercepted on the other end of that, they wasted five minutes in all that field position doing all that. that will, that's eventually what cost them the game. Because if you look at that game – the Green Bay defense was done. At the end of that game, have Mason Crosby missed that 56-yarder? That game's over. It's game, set, match. They weren't stopping Dallas. Those five minutes wasted and the field position on that play basically ended yes. up it no doubt about, being about the – How about this part? Um, yeah, the Packers eventually ended up winning this game. And we could talk all day about how great Aaron Rodgers was, and I cannot yeah. take that away from at all. I'd look like a maniac trying to say anything otherwise today. However, there were several times in this game where the Packers looked to have this game in command and at the end of the day, it came down to the end. And one of those reasons again, a big reason for that again, is the Packers don't have a way to salt a game away. They don't have a running game that could go shorten a game, run down the clock, and stifle the other team on the other side. So they got to keep throwing it around and they have those series in, in a game where they've, and we've seen this before, they'll have a game under control, but they still got to throw the ball around to get first downs, and you get a clock stoppage where you get interceptions, and it allows the other team to get back in it. I mean, the Cowboys shouldn't have even been back in this game at the end, and lo and behold, there they were. No, but, but that's green. Listen, first of all, we have to take one step back, okay? And this is going to sound funny from, from the fan of a team that lost. 
the Green Bay Packers are a slightly above average overall football team. They have a good offensive line for pass blocking, and they have one of the two best quarterbacks in football. Some people would argue Brady. Rodgers is right there, okay? They basically are never going to be built the way you're saying because if you look at the rest of that team, I agree with you what you're saying, but that's just the, the, that team is not a complete team. They're a team that happens to have a guy who's excellent playing out of his mind right now. So, I mean, we're asking them to be something they're not. They have a guy number 88 running the ball. When your running back is number 88, you probably don't have a running back. Yeah, I mean, some injuries. I'm just saying, Emil, we're asking them. I might be asking them to be something that they're not. What I am saying is you've got one of the greats at the position there. Before he's too old and he gets to the Dan Marino stage, um, because I will say this again, I've seen this movie. Uh, I grew up with it down here in South Florida. Uh, before he gets to the point where he has an Achilles or he, and he, he can't move around in the pocket anymore and he can't wing it like he like he used to, you know, I'm not telling you to go get a you know, a guy you get a hand the ball to 30 times, but your Montgomery had 11 carries in the game. You ran the ball. Hey, ran I'm totally. I'm with you, but I'm getting toasted today, and I'm going to have to live with it for another week because I'm still pointing out to people last week, and I'll do it again this week. Green Bay is not balanced, and eventually I believe it will cost them. Now, I'm going to have to take some arrows this week again, um, but I've told people, I said, let me, let me know if this plays out all the way through because it just, it's going to be very hard for them to win two more football games the same way they won this football game. Okay, you're you're asking the guy to basically play perfect football for two more games against the best teams in the league. That's hard to ask. I don't care how good the quarterback is. At some point, you got to help him. And if you're going to leave the other team in the game, as you're pointing out, that they do, eventually I think that will bite Green Bay just because it's it's very hard to to win like that. It just is. It, it, no, no doubt. I, it's, yeah, I feel like it is going to catch up with him. I don't know if Atlanta is that team. I know Atlanta runs the ball better than Green Bay, uh, and this game is going to happen in Atlanta. So I don't know. I'm not here to handicap a game on Monday, but uh, no, no. I think I think we'll have to look at that game a little more. Um, but uh, li- listen, I just think that if you if if you're going to ask Aaron Rodgers to win games like this, and this is not just this year. I mean, this is kind of the Green Bay way. I mean, they, the, they've they kind of got to be in that team where it's just like, hey, we have Aaron Rodgers, um, he plays great, and we can win 11 or 12 games every year because he plays great. And, he, you know, he played great enough yesterday to to win it. But I, like I said, I have that game was a coin flip game at the end of the game. And it, like you said, they had an 18-point lead, 21-3 in the second quarter. They had a 28-13 lead in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I don't so, think the game should have down to that, but nevertheless, um, I'm arguing about something. The reason they got that lead was because of uh, Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball around. So I guess I can't. Well, you, well yeah, you're, yeah. I mean, I, I understand. It's a circular. We're kind of in a circular formula, and that's what I went back to say to you is we're kind of asking them to be something they're not going to. I don't think they'll ever be built the way you and I envision them when he's there. I just don't think that that's his mindset. He seems like a guy as great as he is that wants to just throw the ball. I, I think a Tom Brady wants to win. Now, they happen to use Brady to throw the ball a lot, but he's willing to turn around and watch a guy run for 150 yards. He's perfectly willing yeah. to do that when, when they have somebody who can do it. So how about this, Emil? For the money, one time, for the money, in our lifetime, in our era, 
um, because who knows when this thing's going to end uh, for the guys up there in Foxborough. Um, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, do we need to have that happen? It be it might happen this year. I mean, well, I don't know. We'll see. We have to handicap on Friday, but you know, with the way we pick the, lately, we might the teams the teams might want us to to not pick them the way we picked this past week. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it could happen very very well this year. I mean, I'm talking about from a fan standpoint. It's fans of the game. I'm not a I'm not huge on you know seeing the Patriots in the Super Bowl every year. I did, that just to me. Makes it boring. But as I sit here on this Monday morning, January 16, 2017, as a fan, uh, I want to see Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think I think I would too. That'd be that'd be a cool game to see. Finally, yeah, yeah, I'm okay with that at this point. You know, uh, I mean, why not? I mean, the Patriots. Yeah. You know, at some point, you know, Brady's going to act forty. I don't know when that is, but. It's got to come one of these days. Father time's never been defeated. So, yeah, why not? Let me ask you this as yeah. a fan. I didn't get to talk to you about this. You watch the game. What, what do you think now about Dak Prescott? Seriously. Oh, I, I thought, I thought. well, look, let me just take you through the stages here. Um, things got away from them pretty early in this football game. 14-3, 21-3, I believe uh, the score got yeah. to. Not a whole lot going on offensively for the Cowboys. And not particularly Dak Prescott's fault, but it started conjuring up in my mind as like, first of all, I said, I hope uh, Fox doesn't start doing this whole thing of cutting away to Tony Romo on the sideline. That would be irresponsible. Um, and to their credit, they didn't do that. They didn't, you know, they didn't just start showing Tony Romo. But I had a feeling we might see him in this contest. And then I started thinking about all the ramifications of that. If you got to bring Tony Romo in, what would that do? But I say that saying this, you know, what was going on early in this game was for me to see him come alive in this game and, you know, put together some drives, make some great throws, make some great decisions. Um, and that was the most impressive part. Some of the decisions he made in a very pressurized, it doesn't get more pressurized than that at home in a playoff game and you're a rookie. Uh, the decisions that he made is why I think this Cowboys team was where it was this year. And it was good to see him come back. Listen, the Cowboys lost. They're out of this thing. I know Cowboys fans are very unhappy today, but you have to feel very, very good about where your franchise stands right now. In your biggest dynastic years, Aikman, Smith, Irving, those guys didn't do it like this as rookies. I think we know what their rookie years were like. No, I mean, uh, so you know, uh, as a fan, their defense is very young, and I just they got a report this week. Jalen Smith is 100%. Matter of fact, he said he can he could have played in the playoffs. Now, I don't believe that because he didn't practice enough all year. But point is, Jalen Smith coming back next year is like getting an extra first round pick. I mean, I don't know if fans understand how good this guy was. Had he not been hurt in that Fiesta Bowl, this guy was a top five pick. Um, the defense is very young. I think they need an edge rusher. They probably need a, another corner. But overall, you know, getting him is a big boost. Offensively, nine of the 11 players that started yesterday are 29 years or younger. 26 years or younger on the offensive line other than Doug Free. And you got a rookie quarterback and a rookie running back. And I think Dak is legit um, because people compare RG3 and, and Kaepernick. Here's the difference. RG3 and Kaepernick had a good first year. 
winning with something that was trickery. They were running read option, and Chad, and you, you pointed it out, I pointed it out on the show. Mm-hmm. Eventually, the league will catch up with the tricks. Dak Prescott won playing quarterback in the NFL from the pocket. There was no trickery in what Dak Prescott did this season. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, I mean, the, the Cowboys in, in good hands. Um, you've got the quarterback of the future. That's what, shoot, a good 20-something teams in this league are, are fighting to get right now. So you have that. You've got a great offensive line, which is where everything starts in the game of football. Um, you're coming along defensively. Uh, you've got the running back that you need. You're in, you're in great hands. The Cowboys are going to be um, – mainstays i'd be surprised if they're not mainstays in the playoffs for the foreseeable future and so they've got great things coming they should be perennial contenders when you have the quarterback position figured out you have the offensive line figured out and i will say this and maybe you disagree i think they have the head coach figured out i don't give jerry a ton of credit but i give him credit for being patient i think jason garrett turned him into a very good nfl coach better than most let's put it that way i think he the team responds to him I think he has control of the team, and I think he's one of the few guys at this that could work with Jerry Jones and still have the players' respect. I think a lot of the other guys that went there, they they knew that they were puppets for Jones, and the players didn't respect them. That team respects Garrett. Jason, uh, uh, you know, Colin Cowherd accurate, accurately described what had been going on at the at the Cowboys' head coaching position. You had Jimmy Johnson. Who was um, who runs a very very tight ship? He won some Super Bowls. Uh, he and Jerry Jones at a certain point didn't see eye to eye, so he swung the pendulum all the way to the other side and got a guy like Barry Switzer, just lets guys be guys. And then uh, you know that you got what you could out of that, and then okay, this is not going to continue to work here. So you do something like a Bill Parcells, who's a guy that's going to run a very very tight ship. Uh, all right, that doesn't work. Let's get a Dave Campbell. So he's been swinging side to side. I think Jason Garrett provides that very good middle. Jason Garrett's going to let Jerry Jones do the interviews about personnel. He's not going to go get all up in arms and get his panties in a bunch about it. He's just going to let Jerry do what he has to do there. But also Jason Garrett is going to do enough uh, from a, a discipline standpoint and running his team that they, he doesn't just get completely overrun and things go haywire. We have a White House and guys are getting in all kinds of crap and, and whatever. So he's the perfect middle for someone like Jerry Jones. And I think yeah, and the, influence, and the influence in the draft has been seen because one of the first things Garrett did when Cowboy fans were impatient during those three straight eight and eight seasons is he set out on a course to rebuild the offensive line. He told Jerry, Jerry, listen, you can't block, you can't, it doesn't matter. And they slowly took the arrows when they took Frederick. Remember Mel Kuyper and those types saying what a terrible pick it was to take a center at the 31st pick in the first round. Guy's been a three-time All-Pro. They took the Tyron Smiths, the Zach Martins. They weren't sexy picks. And I think you see Garrett's influence there. He's become a very good coach, and that's why I feel really good about this team. I think they'll be perennially a playoff team now that they have the key elements to be a playoff team every year in place. I think they're in really good shape going forward. And, uh, you know, so I, I didn't – listen, I, you know me. I wasn't going crazy this week. I thought they would win. But I also treated it as a gravy game because I honestly felt deep in my heart, and my friends up here will tell you this, I thought Atlanta was going to be a mother load for their defense if they got there next week because I said, you know what, right now they just don't have the things you need 
that I think you need to slow a team like that down because if you can't get pressure with your front four, you're, you're, you're going to ask people to hold up against the Julio Jones and some of those receivers. That's a lot to ask. Maybe. Now, who knows? I would have liked to have seen what happened. But Cowboys need is another top-notch cover corner. How about that? Just throwing that out there, too. You know what I mean? Go, listen, if my, my wish list, chat is very simple. Give me a, an edge rusher and a cover corner. I don't care how you get them. I prefer you get them in the draft. I'm not a huge fan of those positions in free agency. I think usually – when those kind of players hit the free agent market, you get burned because most teams, if they have an edge rusher, that, 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 that's an edge rusher that can really impact the game, they're not letting them hit free agency. And the same thing with corner. You can add some role players there, but I would like to see their first two picks be a corner and an edge, an edge rusher. And I don't care what order they go in. Whatever player is the, the best value in the first round, whatever player is the best value in the second round. Right. Oh, there you have it. Well, listen, man, we got an hour in on this whole thing. Um, And now we're on to the championship weekend. Two very good matchups. It's the Packers and the Atlanta Falcons. And then we've got the Patriots and the Steelers. Four great quarterbacks, as you pointed out, coming together in this thing. So one way or another, we'll have a great quarterback matchup. Oh, there's going to be some great football. There's going to be some great football next weekend. I mean, those games a lot of times are better than the Super Bowls, to be honest with you. Yeah, so certainly looking forward to that. And, um... Certainly looking forward to being able to both preview this thing and then talk about it because you just know that it's going to be great. So that's it for us today on a Monday. Um, you enjoyed the games this weekend. We hope you enjoyed listening to us. We want to thank you for listening. And uh, we will be back. I'll be back later on this week. It's time to hit that. It's that time of year, Amal. It's recruiting time. Oh, yeah. February 1st is coming. That's right. So stay tuned. Um, for my announcements, the recruiting roundtable is coming back here on the Gridiron Stud Show. But for now, thank you for listening. For Emil Calamino, I'm Chad Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Gridiron Stud Show. To all you high school recruits out there, you want to get recruited by the colleges? Step up and visit GridironStuds.com today. we got college coaches visiting. We've got people visiting. We've got fans visiting. If you want to be seen, get your video up there right now. It's easy. Create a profile. Takes two minutes. Stop playing games. Get off of Facebook. Take control of your future. GridironStuds.com is where you need to be today. Visit now. Set your profile up. And let your 